you have the American dream. You run your own business. But running a business turns out to be more than you thought. It's a pain in the neck. You're not getting where you want to go. You're not getting what you want to get. And you're working 97 hours a week. We're here to help you fix that. This is the Small Business Celebration Podcast. I am your host, Michael Roberts, and on this podcast, you can learn something that you can use today to grow a strong and profitable business. Before we begin our interview with this week's successful Small Business Visioneer, I want to take a moment and thank you, the listener, for listening to the Small Business Celebration Podcast. If you're listening to this podcast for the first time, you're about to hear an example of why after several thousand downloads in just over a year, small business owners, CEOs, CFOs, partners, and general managers download the Small Business Celebration Podcast in record numbers on a weekly basis. We want to thank the tremendous content that our Visioneer guests continue to provide this podcast, our sponsors, and you. Visioner Nation, who have subscribed to this podcast, internalize our guests' valuable insight, and because of it, are growing a strong and profitable business. And we thank you. Our guest today is Brian Connor, who's the CFO of Bolt House Properties. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Michael. Great to be here. What does Brian Connor do with Bolt House Properties? My role here at Bolt House Properties is Chief Financial Officer. Mm-hmm. I oversee all the finance and accounting for the portfolio of companies here, mm-hmm. including taxes and risk management, insurance. So anything to do with numbers, but then also contribute to sometimes deal review, negotiations um, as well. You have never worked for anybody else before Bolt House, have you? Um, no, 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 not at all. <laughs> Few places. Okay. And, and for whom did you work before Bolt House as a CFO? So as CFO, I was at Jim Brook Ford, uh-huh. and then before that, Lightspeed Systems, mm-hmm. and then um, was also CFO or business manager was the title at First Assembly of God's Doctoral Christian School, one the same entity. Right. Those are the jobs that I was at C- CFO at. As the career has gone along, the bigger and bigger companies that you've had work with with larger and larger headaches, I, I'm guessing. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like there's a ROH, return on headache, right? <laughs> <laughs> and the reason I wanted to interview you is you're very well known in the community for your efforts as a chief financial officer, the CFO. Here we are in the second week of December, This is the time of year, if you haven't already, as a business owner or a business leader, started your financial forecasting for next year, you might want to start thinking about doing it. First of all, what is financial forecasting? And second of all, why is it important for a business? So I know there's different terms out there, budget, planning, forecasting, rolling forecast, and the like. To me... Yeah, you're right. This is the time of year to do a budget or a forecast. And to me, that's just laying out where you think your numbers are going to be for the following year, mm-hmm. thinking in terms of calendar year. Mm-hmm. In fact, we just completed ours, was submitted to the, uh, the board last week. Mm-hmm. So it's really just, it's a point in time where you just push the pause button and look and see what you see coming along the line the next year in terms of maybe new products where the pricing may settle, kind of look at your expenses for the year and how they're trending, and maybe there might be some opportunities for even cost reduction 
And in this planning session, is this when you take the opportunity to see what your peak volumes are in different times of the year and how to analyze your expenses appropriately? Yeah, so that's uh, that's really important in that, especially if you've been in business for a, a few years, mm-hmm. you've got kind of a trend set up, mm-hmm. which is really helpful. You can see the seasonality. Hopefully there's a pattern that has developed, whether it's a restaurant or catering firm or even you know a, a law firm, accounting firm. You're starting to see a cadence mm-hmm. to your numbers and thus also some, I guess, cost patterns as well. Some costs will be tied more to your product, mm-hmm. product cost, and some costs will be kind of more fixed in nature, mm-hmm. your, your insurance, your rent, and that kind of thing. So yeah, it's, your numbers are trying to tell you a story, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so th- you're wanting to listen to those numbers. And really, I, I kind of sit back and look at, kind of categorize them between product cost, variable cost, fixed cost. So costs that don't move with volume, right. the costs that do move with volume, but they're really maybe not directly related to your product. Mm-hmm. Maybe like salaries in the, in the front office where maybe they have to be ramped up in terms of expansion, but they're not really directly related to the, uh, the product itself. So yeah, it's a time to look at seasonality mm-hmm. and really kind of use that as a way of looking to the future. You want to use the past to really prepare for the future, especially with all these different rules coming about with minimum wage. And you really want to understand the impact of these different laws mm-hmm. um, as well as the market impact uh, with, that the business that you're in. It's sort of like a person who is rowing a rowboat. You have the point on land that you use as a focus point so that as you row the, row the boat, you're rowing in a straight line. Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. As you're going through and you're analyzing the numbers in the past, for those of us that are not financially detail-oriented, <laughs> how do we go through and look at our numbers coming out of a standard spreadsheet or something out of QuickBooks or something like that? What is it that we, because we get this printout of a whole bunch of numbers we don't understand. Right, sure. What sure. is it that we're going through and you're looking at our past three or four years of income and expenses? What are some of the trends that we're trying to look for? Well, I think what's really important is trends on your pricing. Mm. I mean, first thing I would do is go into QuickBooks, like you said, or whatever accounting software you use or see your CPA bookkeeper, whoever does that download it to Excel. Mm -hmm. So at least you got the data there. Hopefully your chart of accounts or the way that you categorize your accounting Mm -hmm. is at enough level of detail that you can kind of decipher what's going on. Not just maybe one product sales figure, but you know maybe a little more detail than that. Mm-hmm. And really, once you have it in a spreadsheet, then you can kind of be able to categorize, really. I mean, the first thing I would do is, okay, so this is my revenue. These are my costs that are related to my product. These are my costs that are more fixed in nature. And just kind of categorize them. So at least, okay, so you can kind of get a better idea of the specific background for for each variable. Would this also allow you to determine how or whether your product or service that you're offering is marked up enough? Right. So gross margin is a term that is used in accounting a lot. And Mm -hmm. what it is, it's your revenue minus your product cost. Mm. 
gross margin percentage. Mm-hmm. If your sales are a hundred thousand and your product cost is fifty thousand, then you have fifty thousand in gross profit. That's a fifty percent gross margin. Mm. And how that trends is very important mm. because it points to either that maybe you have a problem with pricing, maybe price degradation over time. If your gross margin percentage is going down or maybe your costs are going up or maybe it's a combination of both. It's a very important descriptor that you have to watch and then forecast as well for next year. If you're forecasting maybe an improvement in gross margin and yet it's been going down, mm. how are you going to reverse that trend mm-hmm. you're right is it the pricing could be based on market or competition or maybe there's even times when pricing is based on a, a percentage gross up mm-hmm. from your margin so they know what the cost is and they want to have a certain gross margin percentage and that so the price is kind of that result mm-hmm. so there's different ways of pricing but the gross margin percentage is a really critical key performance indicator that I would watch. In a nutshell, what you're basically doing is you're trying to determine if, after all of your expenses are done, whether the product or service you're offering is making you money. Right, exactly. So at the end of the day, you want to have a profitable growing business. <laughs> so, so your re- revenue minus all your costs equals net income and hopefully it's positive and but just because it's positive doesn't mean you're out of the woods right right the numbers are trying to tell you something that's really the the numbers need to have context Mm. so if you just export numbers into a a spreadsheet and then guess where you are next year i mean that that's helpful that's really kind of the first step Mm -hmm. you need to the numbers need to be seen in context in context with where they were prior year with where they were compared to the current year budget how they're trending in terms of maybe your, even your competition, if you have data on that. Mm-hmm. Your net income, your profit margin percentage is another key performance indicator that I watch as well. That means to taking all your costs out, what your net income or your profit is, take that as a percentage of your revenue mm-hmm. and see how that's been trending for the last couple, three years, or if you've been in business longer, then great. You know, mm-hmm. however... You have to use then kind of the categories to figure out, okay, well, what's, what's causing that improvement or what's, what's causing the, the decline? Would you also use this to determine whether or not a product or, sus- product or service is justifiable in maintaining or providing? Yes. If you can break this income statement or profit and loss statement down by product or by service or mm-hmm. even by customer, mm-hmm. that's really, really useful, especially like in the, let's say in the setting where someone's been on business on their own as a a consultant for a few years, Mm -hmm. they're showing that they're making some money, they're paying taxes, making their quarterly payments, but they have this sense that, boy, it seems like I sure am spending a lot of time on one or two clients. And you go through this process of determining, okay, I'm charging them this much here's the cost of my time, but yet I'm not really capturing the amount of driving I'm doing. Gosh, there's a lot more means than I thought. And it gets into, are you tracking labor and material by customer and or by product? Mm-hmm. Cause that's where, like you said, you're, you're getting into, okay, well, are you pricing your product or service appropriately by line? Mm-hmm. Maybe you need to drop a product line. Maybe you need to improve the margin by increasing the price. If there's room to do that in terms of like a, consulting, let's say, 
you know, it may be a situation where they find out they might be losing money on a particular client. Once they factor in, gosh, you know, I am driving a couple hours a week. There's a lot more means than I thought they go long, you know, wow. And so I think, you know, just looking at terms of customer profitability analysis is what we call it in the, in accounting. Sure. (laughs) sure. (laughs) How do you determine what your competition is charging and how do you take that information or where, first of all, where do you find that information, what your competition is charging versus what you're charging and making that differentiation? You know, there's actually some data that you can access out there. It's been a while since I looked at it. I think it's called Robert, Robert Morris Associates, I believe, RMA, okay. where they actually publish benchmarking information mm. um, in terms of, so for a buy industry, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's can, Robert Morris? I believe so. I'm going off memory. <laughs> but it's a, yeah, so they, there's, there's information out there in terms of, of benchmarking. Sometimes it's free, sometimes it's not. But I think sometimes if you're in the industry long enough, you have a feel for especially like if it's more commodity based, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's a little bit easier, whether, you know, if it's almonds or carrots, you know, that kind of thing, you can kind of get a sense for what your competition is doing. But yeah, there, there's some benchmarking data out there. Just, I think networking and being out there, sometimes you get to know people in the industry and, and not that you're trying to <laughs> mine information necessarily, but you know, through the relationships and, you know, you can kind of get a sense for where people are. If you're running a restaurant, you should know kind of a, a typical gross margin percentage that typical restaurant targets. Ron, what's with the kazoo? That doesn't sound very much like Christmas holidays. It's because New Year's is just around the corner, and many small business leaders like to inspire their employees and their favorite clients for a terrific New Year ahead. And each time a visioneer reserves an order for our affordable tables, linens, plates, flatware, glasswares, and all the other decorations or tents you may need, we blow a kazoo. But what if I want to reserve all of our party needs from you at Geronco? Is it too late for the new year? Mike, I'll tell you and any member of Visionaire Nation that listens to this podcast, come on down to our shop at 7501 Brundage Lane here in Bakersfield or give us a call at 661 Three two five zero eight five five, or check us out on our website at Joronco Rentals. That's J O R O N C O Rentals with an S dot com. Wait, let me get a piece of paper and, and a pen. And that was seventy five zero one East Brundage Lane here in Bakersfield at six six one three two five zero eight five five, or on your website at Joronco Rentals. That's J O R O N C O Rentals dot com. We're here with Brian Connor, the CFO of Bolt House Properties. And one of the things I wanted to ask you about is there has been a long shift and change over the last few years with the name Bolt House. For many of us, we are very familiar with Bolt House Farms. And then there was a shift and a change and an evolution that, in my mind, hasn't been very clearly delineated. Right. Tell us what happened and what, what is Bolt House Properties, you know, how did that all come about? I started my career working at Bolt House Farms, okay. um, although I wasn't CFO there, but I had the fortune of kind of growing up in the company and eventually assisting with the sale of Bolt House Farms in 2005. 
And who was it sold to? So it was sold to Madison Dearborn, which was a uh, private equity group out of Chicago. Mm-hmm. A few months prior to that, all the land was spun off to Bolt House Properties. Okay. That happened about nine months before the sale to Madison Dearborn took place. Mm-hmm. The idea was that the land would not contribute substantially to the sales price and mm-hmm. that they can get a lot more value of it if they kept it within the family and, and grew it organically over a long period of time. December 2005, sold to Madison Dearborn, and Madison Dearborn held on to it for just about seven years, mm. which is clearly longer than I think they planned. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what happened during that time with the recession and all that. Right. So they sold to Campbell's. Campbell's Soup. 2012 Campbell's Soup. Obviously a very large food company. The um, Campbell's had it for about seven years. Mm-hmm. I think they had some minor successes, but I think overall they, I think there was some struggle, I think they would admit, mm-hmm. to really find out that this is a farming company. Right. And I think that's where the, the difficulty lie in that their experience didn't lie in that area. Right. Um, there seems to be a big difference between uh, making soup and growing carrots. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't grow the carrots right, and you got problems downstream, obviously, right? Right, With, right. Because a lot of the juices lie on it, concentrate, and obviously the carrots themselves. So I think that was a bit of a surprise. They struggled toward the end there, and I think realized that it wasn't a good fit. Mm-hmm. You know, I think... We all saw some of the write-ups that they had to do with decreasing the value of the business. And so the partnership just didn't work out. Mm. Eventually, they they said they were going to put it on the block in 2018 along with their, I think, international business. And uh, I believe it was like a refrigerated soup. So there were several segments they were selling off in addition to the Bolthouse Farms. The Bolthouse Farms was part of their Campbell's Fresh division, oh. or Seafresh, mm-hmm. they called it. And so that whole division was sold off, but they end up doing it to where they sold off the, uh, like the garden fresh salsa separately from Bolthouse Farms. So Bolthouse Farms was sold eventually this last June to a private equity group called Butterfly. Mm-hmm. One of its principals is Jeff Dunn. Mm-hmm. Jeff was the uh, CEO, actually under both Madison and Campbell's, a lot of experience in the area. But I think it's safe to say that now he has a little more flexibility and autonomy to run it how he seems. Yeah, so that's kind of the recent news <laughs> of how all that came together. <laughs> yeah. And the key thing that I wanted to point out on all of this is we have heard on numerous occasions on this podcast where two partners dissolve a partnership because it didn't go very well. Right, and they right. had difference of opinion sure. or differences of vision. And it's no difference in the corporate world. Yeah, it's, sure. It, sure. It also happens and, with the big boys. And a lot of money at stake. It's no secret that Bolt House Farms was sold for $510 million mm-hmm. this year versus a billion and a half that it was sold for in 2012. So there's considerable money involved. Right. Right, you're right. I mean, even partnerships that break down at a smaller level is still just as painful. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Bolthouse Properties was separated out very early on. Right. What is it that Bolthouse Properties do now? We are a family of companies, so we we, ma- we are a family office, which mm-hmm. simply means we manage the assets of the Bolthouse family. Mm. We have a Bolthouse development company, we have an investment company, and then we have a land company. 
we are we have a registered investment advisor company, meaning that we manage the investments for the bull houses as well as other select clients. Mm-hmm. And then we have a development arm where we actually build a suit. We have a business park that we are in right now. <laughs> so we have lots for sale and we can even offer the ability to work through Wallace and Smith or other construction companies to build a suit, a, company, a building for people. And what are some of the projects that Bolt House Properties is offering right now? We're also a master plan developer. So Court Seven Oaks which is located at White Lane and Buena Vista, Mm -hmm. is an example of kind of the early phases of this master plan development that will stretch over 1,800 acres and thousands of homes. Wow. If you come out this way, there's a few builders. We've got a lot of different types of homes, a lot of different price ranges. And so we act as the the master plan developer. We control the look, the feel. We have it fully entitled, meaning all the different check marks are checked off with the city and all the different other players that have a say in how you handle the land. We sell land to a builder and then they build homes to our design. Their success is our success. So if you buy a home in Highgate at Seven Oaks or Belcourt, that all contributes to the master plan development vision that Bolt House set out long ago. Because obviously this used to be Carrot land, and a lot of it still is carrot land. <laughs> uh-huh. I used to do equipment audits on this land way back in the late 90s, you know, looking, going around looking for farm equipment. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's really great to see how things are kind of, you know, coming about. So, yeah, so buying a house in Belcourt Seven Oaks, we're connected to that. But also, we are in, uh, involved in commercial retail. Mm-hmm. If you go to the new Smitten restaurant at Grind Island Village, Mean and Buena Vista, that's our shopping center. Wow. If you go to Broken Yolk on Buena Vista and White Lane, that's our shopping center. In addition to all that, 22,000 acres of ag land that we uh, mostly lease back to Bolthouse Farm. So there's still that connection with them as well, and we consider them a very valued partner. As a business leader, you are a visioneer. You are ethical, smarter, faster, and leaner than your mainstream competition. But what about your message? If your clients and customers don't clearly understand what you can do for them, you are leaving money on the table. If you confuse, you lose. Here at Small Business Celebration, we have a seven-step solution that can clarify your message and put you in the game. Don't leave money on the table. Go to smallbusinesscelebration.com and schedule a listening session today. We're here with Brian Connor, who's the CFO of Bolt House Properties. I wanted to quote a or give a quote from Garrett Ming, who's the president of KBI LLC. He says, Brian's ability to quickly learn the industry and become a key decision maker was remarkable. Brian's unique blend of technical CFO knowledge, curious active learning, and exceptional personal warmth and empathy provide a platform for unparalleled success within the organization. And the reason I bring up this quote is for a couple of things. You may be a numbers guy, but you have a personality. (laughs) (laughs) And you don't become a CFO by accident. You've stumbled through, you've overcome challenges. And that is true with anybody who is a business leader. What are some of the fence posts or signposts, I should say, that you have learned along the way that are apropos that you use to guide your decision-making process today? First of all, I... 
appreciate Garrett so much. He's a good friend of mine. I respect him tremendously. I think for those in the industry wanting to become a CFO, those days of sitting in the corner and having the raw meat throw over the, the wall and not <laughs> deal with people is are those are those days are long, long gone. Uh-huh. Even at a non CFO level. Right. Emotional intelligence is plays a more important part than ever and is more important than your raw intelligence really. You and, need, and and what is emotional intelligence? Emotional intelligence is the ability to have self awareness of how you manage others and how you come across to others. Mm. It's really the ability to manage your emotions, manage relationships to where the way you talk, the way your tone, the way you present yourself, the way you interact with people, the way you, it's more relationship driven. And it's just, it's a different part of your brain. Mm -hmm. One has to move beyond just the intelligence needed for the job at hand. This, in this case, I guess, financial intelligence, Mm -hmm. although important and you have to have that foundation, but, and how did did you develop that? The emotional intelligence. I think just over time, I realized that I have to push myself to, cause I was painfully shy even through high school. And I think, Realized early on that if I wanted to grow and and move up and be able to give more to people, give more to organizations, I needed to learn and grow in myself. Mm-hmm. So whether it be reading books or going to seminars, I was fortunate that I had I, at Bolt House Farms. I was given more and more responsibility, so I had to deal with more and more people, especially outside of accounting. And that kind of gets you out of your comfort zone, you know, to learning and listening how they do business, how they think, how they process. So I think that was kind of a first step. Mm-hmm. And later on, I had the fortune at uh, Jim Burke Ford to have, they had a business coach there as part of the Ford Motor Company program. And while Alan Mulally was CEO at Ford, he instituted some culture changing principles patterns there and he wanted to extend that to the dealership world and so they had a program where there was business coaches that went to the dealerships and so I was able to work with the coach both on on teams but as as an individual as well and so that really kind of helped me further just understand myself more personality tests kind of a combination of of multiple things I guess but Mm -hmm. I, I really tried to push myself into things I wasn't comfortable with, whether it be, (laughs) you know, talking or dealing with people in other departments that thought very differently, but you just try to listen and and try to take a step back and and hear what they're saying and and see how you can provide value. Were there any books or specific seminars or anything along those lines that stuck out to you in that training? You know, um, Five Dysfunctions of a Team by Patrick Lencioni was pretty big. Local <laughs> yeah, yes. that's yeah. a local favorite. That was uh, that was really big, especially at Jim Burke Ford. We used that pretty extensively. There is a there was a book that is kind of obscure that I ran across when I was working at a nonprofit at First Assembly of God. Um, I went to an ACSI conference. It's a Christian schools conference, and a professor from Azusa Pacific. She wrote a book called Above the Line Leadership. Hmm. I think her name is Dr. Sarah Sumner, and hmm. That book was just amazing. It was amazing. It's like it takes kind of, you know, they're all kind of different takes on personality and grouping people. And the idea was that you want to be a leader above the line, meaning that she saw like leaders kind of fall into three different categories. You have leaders that are kind of more of the 
take charge type, the fact-based, strategic is what she would call it. Right. And then you have kind of the more humanitarian, people-focused diplomat. So that's kind of the three where you're you're trying to uh, provide good public relations for the company, for yourself, branding, marketing, that that kind of thing. So how do you operate above the line all those? Because each of those leadership characteristics could have negative elements as well, right? Mm -hmm. Where you are too harsh being fact-based, where you're enabling people by being too humanitarian, where you're getting to uh, spin control because you're trying to manage the image too much. You know what I mean? There's, there's a balance there. Right, sure. The way that she presented it, I thought was very helpful, very eloquent. So something that I always kind of kept in mind. Sure. Um, what is something that has happened in the past that impacted you professionally as a CFO that you use as a, as a road marker or signposts for de- decisions that you make in the future? It may sound kind of... It's a little bit of a unique answer, I guess. But, you know, at Bolt House, there was a number of years before I had the opportunity to supervise. And I think that was good in a lot of ways, even though it was difficult at times. But I think it really gave me a, a true understanding of not only kind of how things worked from a staff level and how the different people process and systems But also, it gave me opportunity to really kind of observe a lot of leaders instead of getting caught up in kind of me managing my own area. But I was able to watch a lot of great leaders kind of manage their areas and really kind of work through that for a number of years. Right. I don't know. It sounds a little bit different, maybe, but that's one thing that really, I think, kind of really helped me not only develop a very strong foundation in what I do, but also, I think, kind of a, a more probably mature management approach. It sounds like that something happened that impacted you that said, you know what, I need to start looking at the leaders around me and how they're dealing with people. And do you recall what that what happened or a series of events that may have happened that caused you to go, you know what, I need to figure this out. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I knew that, you know, the the typical moving up required me to get develop leadership abilities. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, for a while, more for a long time, I would even say, I think there was some, how do you reconcile introversion with a leadership ability? Because I think it's so easy to see leadership in terms of a personality, in terms of charisma. Mm-hmm. And I had to really kind of work through that for a long time. I think there was plenty of times where I was like, you know what? I'm just too quiet, too shy, too withdrawn. I just like working with the numbers and, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. like, sure, sure. but I think, you know, I just, once I started, honestly, when I started dealing with people outside of the County more into ops, I found out I really enjoyed it. I think that gave me more confidence. I think going through the MBA program at Cal state, honestly, hmm. where I did more presentations. And so I, I don't know if there was a single event that caused that, but I think it was just kind of more of a process that realized, you know, I really enjoy people. It's something that I need to develop if I want to move up. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, there was, you know, some great mentors. I think, you know, later on in the years at Bolt House Farms, there was some very strong challenges that came our way in terms of system conversions and in terms of preparing for the sale. There were, I, I was able to see kind of 
leadership by fire, I guess, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you know, it was mm-hmm. a very stressful time. I think, you know, maybe around that time I realized, you know, it's maybe time to, to move on after, after the sale and, and try to really further hone that. Right. So it sounds like you got yourself in a position where you realized that throwing meat over the side and uh, yeah, right. as an accountant was uh, <laughs> not long for the world and that you had yeah, to evolve. Right. For Visioneer Nation, what is one thing that you would recommend that they do today to grow a strong and profitable business? Well, I mean, I know it's kind of cliche, I guess, because I'm the numbers <laughs> guy. Sure, sure, sure. But, uh, you know, I think, like I said earlier, the numbers are trying to tell you a story. Mm. You need to pull out that story. And if you need help, work with your outside CPA, your bookkeeper, hire a coach, hire a consultant. But just be able to lay out those numbers and just really develop as the business owner, you need to be very familiar with these. It can't be outsourced to your accountant. You need to be the one that has a very good feel for the success of your pricing mm-hmm. or maybe some fixing with your pricing, your, your how your costs are, uh, you know, things sneak in very quickly, especially when you're busy and you're growing and you really need to have a very good handle on that. If you're the owner, you really should be the one signing checks. If you're not, you need to have a very good feel for the cadence of your expenses, for the pricing of your products, the, the processes that go into that. So that would, that would be, I guess, the, the main thing that I would offer to people. And take a look at your numbers from last year and the year before so you can start seeing the trends. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, the, the more context you can have, the better laying out multiple, as many years as you can. <laughs> <laughs> you may need some help, I realize, but you know, if you have financial statements prepared, you got the totals. Right. Lay them out side by side. Look how that gross margin percentage is changing. Look how your rent, maybe uh, it's changed more than you realize. Is it still competitive? Your payroll, drill down to some things. You know, The totals point to a larger story, and so you may have to dig some more. You may have to get some help from the bookie to run some more reports. Hey, wow, this, this doesn't look quite right. Listing percentages for each expense grouping as a percentage of total expense is something I just did recently. Because hmm. we want to make sure that as our revenue grows, that we're also percentage of total expense and make sure that's not getting out of hand. And then we're small enough where we, I think we have a good feel. But, you know, it's, you just got to easily can get out of control. Brian, if people wanted to get in touch with you, how do they do that? They can email me at bconner at bolthouseproperties.com. So that's B-C-O-N-N-E-R, bolthouseproperties.com. Or they can call me here at 661-323-4005. Brian, this has been a pleasure, and you've given us a lot of great insight on learning the story behind our numbers and why that's important. And so I want to thank you very much for being on the Small Business Celebration Podcast and and give you a very warm and happy holidays. Great. Thanks so much. Same to you, Michael. Ron, what's with the kazoo? That doesn't sound very much like Christmas holidays. It's because New Year's is just around the corner. And many small business leaders like to inspire their employees and their favorite clients for a terrific new year ahead. 
and each time a visioneer reserves an order for our affordable tables, linens, plates, flatware, glasswares, and all the other decorations or tents you may need, we blow a kazoo. But what if I want to reserve all of our party needs from you at Geronco? Is it too late for the new year? Mike, I'll tell you and any member of Visionaire Nation that listens to this podcast, come on down to our shop at 7501 Brundage Lane here in Bakersfield or give us a call at 661-325-0855 or check us out on our website at Joronco Rentals. That's J-O-R-O-N-C-O Rentals with an S dot com. Wait, let me get a piece of paper and, and a pen. And that was 7501 East Brundage Lane here in Bakersfield at 661-325-0855 or on your website at Dronco Rentals. That's J-O-R-O-N-C-O Rentals.com. <laughs> who is a visioneer? A visioneer is a small business leader who is a pioneer that has vision. A visioneer is someone willing to see the world, not as it is, but as it could be, and is willing to do something about it. A visioneer is ethical, smarter, faster, and leaner than the mainstream competition. A visioneer gives value first because visioneers are in business for the long haul. Visioneers understand the difference between saving money and earning a profit. Visioneers define their destiny. Visioneers create their own luck. Visioneers surround themselves with successful, like-minded people. Visioneers are renegades who defy the mainstream competition and are ready to change the world. Are you a visioneer? Join the Visioneer Tribe at Small Business Celebration on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram today. Thank you for listening to the Small Business Celebration podcast. Some of today's music was brought to you by Ted Hammond, and you might find more of Ted's music at ReverbNation.com forward slash Ted Hammond. That's ReverbNation.com forward slash Ted Hammond. If you enjoyed this episode and gained some insight from it for your business, subscribe to the Small Business Celebration podcast at iTunes.com forward slash Small Business Celebration and give us a five-star review. Also, if there's a business you'd like us to interview, reach out to us on LinkedIn and Facebook and let us know. Until next time, I'm your host, Michael Roberts of the Small Business Celebration Podcast, and we wish you a strong and profitable business.